This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investor Mindset listeners, welcome back. Really excited and humbled. We have been getting incredible support. Made it on the front page of iTunes for the new and noteworthy section for quite a few days now. It's been almost two weeks, actually. And uh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for the support. And one of the big reasons why we've been able to make it there is because of all of the great listeners like you who've hit subscribe, who've pulled over, who've stopped their car, and have gone and left a five-star review on iTunes. It helps the algorithm know that this is content worth listening to. So I wanted to share one of those reviews today from C. Hilly Palmer. It's easy to see why there's so many five-star reviews here. Stephen is bringing us info that we need and we can use in our lives and our business today. Well, thank you, C. Palmer. And I'm not bringing it. I'm really just setting us up so that we can hear amazing things from people who are just like me and you, who have been down the path and we can learn from. So let's jump into another episode right now. All right. Welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm really excited here. I have my guest today is Ben Welch. Steven, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, I am doing awesome. Ben comes to us in from Colorado, uh, where he's primarily focused on buy and hold, specifically in the Memphis, Tennessee market, and is also working on development projects in his hometown in Colorado. In addition to investing, Ben hosts the Millennial Real Estate Investor Podcast, where he interviews young investors who are doing big real estate things. Hey, Ben. Hey, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited. Excited, Ben. Well, you've obviously been growing in your career and you have a very successful podcast that's been growing like crazy. But if we take a couple steps back, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? That's such a good question. So so I think, uh, you know, it's funny. So we're in, what, 2019 right now. So my family's always been in real estate, kind of grew up with the, the notion that real estate was the way to go, the way to actually create some security for yourself outside of um, you know just whatever you're doing for a normal job. Um, and then the recession hit. And like I remember the recession being a very, very big thing for not only my family, but uh, you know, I had close friends whose parents were were really, really impacted by the recession. And it's been a huge thing that shaped me and the way that I look at real estate, the risks that I'll take, um, you know, and, and kind of where I got into it from. So that was one of the big things. Um, and then, wow, coming up during the recession in a real estate family, I could only imagine the stories you have from being a being a being a youngster, especially you're a millennial. That's right, from an age at that time. <laughs> That's right, millennial, good or bad. Uh, sometimes we get the wrong stereotypes, but I think millennials have a lot of good things going for us. They definitely do. But if you look back when you're specifically like a young child, when you were you know, a kid, what's, what sticks out at you? You know, I think um, I, I, had, I had a really supportive family. I think that they've always kind of instilled, uh, you know, the, the need to work hard, the need to, uh, you know, figure out, what direction you're going, but whatever direction that is, enjoy what you're doing and, you know, and work hard doing it. So that was pre 
recession, obviously. And then during that time, actually, um, I spent a couple years helping a friend's family with some wholesaling stuff. So my my best friend's dad was doing a lot of real estate stuff. And we would sit down and make cold calls. We were like 15, 16 years old. Wow. And we'd go on Craigslist and just dig through all these Craigslist foreclosure ads at the time. And uh, we'd call these people up and you know, you're 15 years old and you're like, uh, hey, sir, how much would you sell your house for? And you know, I think our hang-up rate was probably like 98%. Uh, and a couple would stick. And that's what we did. And that's like what kind of how we first got into it. So cool. Getting started young. That's like every real estate investor that I know is tells me, I wish I would have started earlier. And you actually did start pretty early. Yeah, you know, and I still would say the same thing because we started in wholesaling, <laughs> but that was like not, not earlier than 15. I don't know if I could have done that, but it wasn't serious back then. It was just like we were happy at the chance to make a little bit of money and truly did not understand what we were doing. But I wish I had actually bought property when I was in college or something. Yeah, no kidding, right? I, I feel the same. You know, on that front, tell us a little bit about your primary focus today. What are you up to in the investing world? Yeah, so in the investing world right now, um, I, I'm really focused on buy and hold in Memphis, Tennessee right now. Uh, we have... A uh, small development project with three, me and a couple partners have three single family homes that uh, that we're building in Colorado. And then I still work a full-time W-2 job. So uh, wow. kind of doing everything while working a job that I really like and puts me on the road a lot. Um, but it's not a bad deal because I spend a lot of my time in Tennessee. So, you know, you find what what works for you. That's the important part. I feel like a lot of people get caught up in this idea that in order to get into real estate, I need to leave my job. And that's the way I did it. And that's the way a lot of other people have done it. But there's plenty of examples like yourself who love what you're doing, probably don't want to stop doing it at any point. And real estate is a great way to you know, add additional income and do something that you enjoy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people get caught up in that. I don't know what it is, whether that's just like what's talked about on the forums or, uh, you know, like what you hear the most about, like real estate is the way to quit your job and go live on a beach and drink martinis all day or margaritas, whatever you drink on a beach. But like, <laughs> drinking I, martinis on the beach? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. That might go downhill quick. No, but I, you know, I just, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Like, I think for a lot of us, it's okay to realize that real estate is a foundation in addition to whatever you're doing. And you can really set yourself up with a lot of security and you don't have to leave your job. Like if I would have left my job a while ago, not that I could off of a couple properties, but I would have been so bored for a while. And, you know, I, and I can easily do both right now. So yeah, for anybody out there wrapped up in like, I need to leave my job in the next six months or whatever, I would say, you know, use real estate to calm that feeling and then get over it. Keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. And if anybody is in a job that they feel like they have to leave or they really want to leave it, then, then leave. You can do that. Right. But if you like what you do, you know, just add this to your repertoire. Yeah, exactly. So obviously you've been around real estate your whole life, but what drew you into it? I mean, going through the recession with family and friends who lost a ton of money, I'm sure you firewalked their experience, but what 
what made you decide to still stay in it and take the leap and not just run away? Yeah, good question. Um, we had so so I remember playing like the cash flow quadrant games and reading Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was younger. And then I really didn't do anything with all of that knowledge and information for like years. Um, and it really wasn't until probably 2015 that I started listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast again. And like, yeah, I think I started a show like 140 something. And I immediately just started consuming as much as I possibly could. I think I went back to like backwards all the way to show one. And that's what got me into it. All of a sudden, you know, you get the the bigger pockets itch and you just got to keep going. You got to keep listening. Yeah, it's dangerous, that show. I, uh, I was on episode 309 and two years ago when I was getting prepared for that, uh, I was reflecting back on two years prior before I even got into the game and how many episodes that I soaked in. And that is just a wealth of knowledge that you can learn by hearing other people's stories just like right here. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. There was somebody early on when I was listening to them that said, you know, if you listen to every BP episode, it's like getting an MBA in real estate. And I could not agree with that more. It's like the most amazing free information that you can get in any one place. I, I agree. I think it's a lot of good free information. I think the key takeaway though is people need to take action. Right. They need to listen to an episode. They need to do something with that because knowledge is nothing without the ability to apply it. But you've applied and, uh, you know, obviously we were talking a little bit offline about your first property, you know, buy and hold and how it took you four months to, to, to get it and several lenders and you were building this whole team. You know, once you actually got that property, it wasn't all, you know, sunshine and roses from there. Tell us a little bit about that experience going through the stabilization process. Yeah, yeah, definitely not sunshine and roses. Um, so, so I bought that property, let's see, it was like two and a half years ago now. And it's, it's been a long process and I've learned a lot along the way. So, you know, like you said, I, I took action after listening to BP. I jumped in, um, and I was like, you know, rosy eyed and thought this was all going to be awesome. I, I knew my numbers. I figured, okay, this is like halfway to my financial freedom number right away. And that's like, that, that's just so not the case. That's not how it happens. So mm-hmm. it's taken me about two and a half years to get this to a stabilized point. We've never, lo- we've never had a money or a month where we've lost money on the project, but it's been like, minimal cash flow for a very long time. And that's been a combination of expecting vacancies to be lower than they actually were, not screening tenants thoroughly enough, uh, underestimating maintenance costs, just about every mistake that a, a newbie rookie investor can make, I think we've made in this one property. So it's been two and a half years of dealing with that. We are finally at a point now where we're starting to turn over, you know, we've done enough maintenance, made the insides look nice, we're making the outside look nice, and we're getting great tenants. So now we're getting tenants that are paying more than I ever imagined they would pay for these units, and they're staying, which is the key. Because mm-hmm. I've done more evictions than anybody should have to do in their first property. Yeah, no kidding. That's So it's not, it's not all easy, but... 
you know, you stuck through it. But when, when you run into a challenge like that, Ben, how do you look at it? Like what goes through your mind when you're thinking to yourself, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be, or it's not as easy as I thought. Yeah. And there's been a lot of those moments of sitting there like, oh man, what did I do here? But I think you just have to look at it like you have to take a step back and you have to look at it objectively. You have to look at it like I know for a fact, based on all that free knowledge that you got from podcasts everywhere, I know for a fact what this can be. And if I just keep staying the course, it'll get there. And I think that persistence is what ends up paying off. Like obviously, uh, being a buy and hold investor is a long-term play. You're not trying to make chunks of cash tomorrow, um, even though you can with a burst strategy, but you're in it for the long game. And if for me, all it's been is just being persistent enough to push through, being patient enough to wait on things because you know we'll make changes and then I won't have the right tenant for another month or so. Uh, you know, so it's it's a waiting game, uh, and then continuing to educate myself. So as far as mindset going into it, I think it's looking at your long game and figuring out what you want your your uh, end goals to be, and whether this aligns with it. And mine did. Yeah. So you got really clear on your outcome going into it. You knew, hey, I'm going to run into these kind of challenges. These are the kind of things that might come up. There's a lot of unknowns, but I I want to do it for this reason. Like I, I want to start buying and holding for this reason. For you, what is that reason? Why why do you do this? Yeah. So for me, it's it's all um, you know. I don't know whether you call it financial freedom or just options. So I have a number that I want to hit that would pay all the bills on a monthly basis. And you know whether that reduces stress in my other job that I don't have to be there if I don't want to, um, or if it just allows me and my wife to travel the world more. Uh, that's what it is. Hitting that number for me is really ultimately the, the goal at the end of the day. And we do a lot of cool traveling right now. I'd just like to do more of it. That's great. So you're clear on that purpose. How would you recommend somebody go through that process of deciding what that number is for them? Ah, oh man, that's a great question because you have to sit down, like really drill down. And probably what's going to happen as you go do this is you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff that you should not be spending money on. It's just a total waste of time and money. Um, but I would sit down, I think for us, what we did is we used Mint, um, which if anybody uses it, it's it's pretty awesome. So you plug in all your bank accounts and everything and it shows on a monthly basis what you're spending, how much you're spending, and on what you're spending it on. Um, and so we did that. We just broke it down to, all right, what, do, what does it take to live for my wife and I? And that was kind of just working backwards into including you know, our mortgage, our car payments, our food, insurance, and utilities, and whatever. And if I can cover all that, then I can go live in Hawaii for a month or three months or six months and not have to worry about anything. Yeah, that's great. I, what I always found was a challenge, and let me know if you ever ran into this as well. Once you start going down this path of figuring out, okay, well, what are my expenses? What are my budget? What do I need to make to live? What do I want to be able to make to kind of get to that financial freedom number? Have you ever felt like, I know I have, have you ever felt like, well, this number just keeps getting bigger and bigger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I have felt like that. And I think, I don't know, there's like, there's levels of this. So mm-hmm. there's a level that, okay, if I hit this number, I could not work and I would cover all my bills. And then there's like the next level of, okay, now I can not work, cover all my bills and save or invest more. And I think like level one is great, but level two is better. So yeah, I think that's when your number starts getting bigger. Yeah, that's where I think if, if uh, for all the listeners here, uh, what you guys want to do here is sit down and figure out what you have to have to live on. You know, what do you have to have to be able to scrape by and be able to live, you know, just enough, bare minimum. And then you want to, you know, that's, that's your minimum number. That's level one. And then probably level two is what do you have to be making on a consistent basis to be, you know, living pretty comfortably, having a good life, having fun, doing what you want. And then there's probably a couple more levels above that. And you don't have to worry about what those levels are. Is that a a million dollars a year? Is that, you know, 200,000 or is it just a hundred? Like for everybody, it's going to be different. But what I found is that, you know, the more that I learn and the more that I learn from others and model what they're doing, the more I realize, wow, the goals that I've set for myself are tiny compared to what's possible. And that's okay because we always want to keep growing. So it's okay if these numbers change, but it's a good starting point to at least get something written down. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. You know, and and the other thing is for somebody working in a a W-2 job, as you go through this journey, like you're probably going to be making more money on in whatever you're doing outside of your investing. And you're probably going to get promotions and raises and whatever. So I think part of the challenge is is trying to manage that and live at a certain level that you know what your baseline is. And then keep managing to that number. But then, like you said, there will be other levels and you'll keep going to them, but you don't have to worry about that as step one. You just got to worry about the one in front of you first. That's true. It's really easy to get overwhelmed trying to figure out like all of the steps, but you really just have to figure out, well, what's the next step? And then maybe where do I want to land? Yeah. Like where's that end point? And who knows exactly what road you're going to take or left or right turn or forward. As long as you're, you know where you're going and, and each step you take is kind of getting you on the way there. Yeah, exactly. So tell us a little bit about jumping into being a full-time real estate agent and what you learned from that experience because I'm not a broker. I don't plan on becoming a, a, an agent or a broker, but I've heard a lot of stories of people when they want to get into real estate investing, they jump in and they get licensed uh, and they start doing traditional brokerage. Yeah, yeah. And so before I go into the story, I should say I'm not in any way opposed to getting licensed as a, yeah, an extra only. form of knowledge and access to the MLS and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm super happy I did. Um, but actually becoming a full-time agent uh, is probably like it, one, of the, one of the biggest things that I feel like I've failed at over the last couple of years. And it, this is funny because I don't, I don't think I've told many people this, so why not just put it out on a podcast first? Um, yeah, exactly. Just like a couple thousand of my closest friends. No big deal. No, I think that, so I, I went into this thinking, I, I got my license thinking, this is my path out of my W-2. I'll, you know, I'll spend six months, I'll build this up and I'll go do this. And, uh, you know, I love being in real estate, but I sort of quickly found that for a lot of reasons, that just wasn't where I was meant to be. Um, we also had some crazy clients over my first six months that, 
uh, you know, when we were out camping on the weekends, I'm getting angry phone calls because the sign fell down in their yard. And all of a sudden I'm realizing, you know, I, I don't really care. Go put your sign back up. And, and that's, that's not the attitude that, that you have to have. Yeah. And I still do it a little bit for, for friends and family, but um, it, it's not going to be, it's most likely not going to be my full-time gig anytime at the moment. Uh, I kind of realized that for multiple reasons, I had this push that I felt like I needed to leave my W-2 and I needed to do it as soon as possible because like, that's what people do. And, mm. you know, I, I ended up realizing that where I was, I actually liked, for one, and the money was good and lenders loved it. So as a buy and hold investor, I was still looking for conventional financing on things. Yeah. And that helped at the moment as opposed to being a real estate agent. So yeah. failure, but, uh, you know, we've moved on and I, I think it's okay at this point. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I honestly think some of the, the greatest lessons from my life have been when I've failed, when I've screwed up, when I've made a mistake and been able to come back and look at that either right in the moment or, you know, years later and realize that that's one of those growing moments. One thing on the broker side, you know, I really, my heart goes out to all the people who, who rush out to become licensed brokers because it's, it's actually really hard. Yeah. And one of the things I wish they would change is to make it have a little higher barrier to entry or have some kind of system or process for training and bringing people on because, you know, for all, for all the listeners that know exactly what I do, I, I run sales teams, right? We go out and buy houses directly from homeowners. And, you know, those folks are doing true, hardcore, real sales, building relationships, helping solve people's problems. And that's, it's a tough gig. And if you don't have the right mentorship, then you're going to fail. And that's the reason why a lot of people jump in and get their license and they fail. Yeah. They quit doing real estate. They hate it. They do one transaction that was a, a cousin or an uncle or a sister or brother, somebody they twisted their arm to get that first transaction. And they give up because they're not making any money because it actually takes quite a bit of time and effort and energy to really build a pipeline of people. So, you know, it's good that you learn that because it sounds like you're pretty good at what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And that's so true. And I think especially in a hot market like we've been in for the last couple of years, people just look at being an agent as like, oh, I'll just go get my license and I'll go make 200 grand next year and it'll be easy. And, you know, that's just so not the case. Like you said, it's, it's real sales. It's developing relationships. It's putting in the time. Um, and if that's for you, then great. I think there's a lot of benefits to it, a lot of flexibility, uh, but you're also working a lot of weird hours. So... But yeah, I w I'm with you though. I wish they made the barrier to entry a little bit higher. Yeah, residential real estate is a simple business, but it's not easy. So right. you, you definitely want to make sure you have the right mentorship in place. So something on a, on a personal, I'm really interested in, and uh, hopefully we don't bore the listeners with this, but uh, pilot's license. Sounds like you got your license. It's something I've been thinking about doing for a real long time. Do it. What was that like? Was it was it pretty straightforward? Was it pretty easy? Uh Straightforward, yes. Easy, no, not necessarily. But but it's so cool. I mean, it's a completely new perspective on life once you get it. Uh, kind of helps you with, with a lot of things. So it took me um, about five months to initially get my private pilot's license. And um, that was right about the same time that I was starting to look at real estate investing. And honestly, it was like, you know, you get out of college and you're kind of, 
you're you're out of the classroom setting. You're almost not even thinking about like how do I learn anymore, right? You're not in the mode of sitting down and trying to get grades or trying to learn. Uh, and it had been a few years for me since I had been out of college when I started doing this, and uh, it kind of taught me, retaught me how to learn things again. And I mm-hmm. think that played into my real estate investing. So. You know, I sat down, I took the time. There's a lot of focused time that it takes to get your license. And I sat down, I learned what I needed to, reminded myself that I could learn what I needed to. Um, and that kind of played into when I started trying to get into real estate investing, it was sort of just the same process. Sit down, spend the time, get the knowledge and do it. Just execute. Yeah. Yeah, so you you remembered and you started relearning how to learn again, and then you're able to apply that to real estate. Yeah, yeah. But man, you should get your pilot's license though. Totally worth doing. You're like the tenth person who's like, dude, you got to just do it. So maybe I got to <laughs> add that to my long list of uh, hobbies. But I think that's so true. I feel like a lot of people when they graduate college or they graduate high school or they finish up some kind of training program, they think, oh, great, I'm done. I don't got to learn anything else anymore. I'm set. Now I'm just going to kind of kick back. What I've learned from the top, you know, real estate investors, the most successful people, and you know, you being clearly one of them, is that learning is it's a lifelong thing. You have to be spending time soaking in new information and kind of getting your brain turning on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, you know, it's funny because I've actually been going through the same process again lately. We're working on senior housing project, and mm-hmm. it's totally new again. It's it's totally something outside of the realm of. Anything that I've done before, it's real estate, but it's so much more than that. And you know, it just it yeah, it reminds you you're not done learning. There's always more to go. Absolutely. So Ben, out of curiosity, what are some of the biggest challenges in your life today? Oh, uh, currently? Yeah, today. Uh, that's that's a good one. So uh, for me, I think my my biggest challenge on a daily basis is is managing you know, balancing growing the real estate business and working a full-time job. I think, you know, that's just a time challenge. Uh, Actually, one of the biggest things that's changed for me in the last few months is uh, I was, I was like adamantly against reading the one thing for the longest time. Yeah. Everybody said I should read it. And there it is in the background. You know, eventually, finally in January, I decided, okay, I'll just sit down and read it. I need to get my life focused, which is really hard to commit to when you know you still have to work a full time job and want to build real estate. Uh, But man, I've read that book and it's been such a game changer for me in that challenge specifically to sit down and prioritize what I need to do at a time, you know, both in real estate and my job and just get things done. You know, quit worrying about like, I don't need to check email every five minutes. I need to work on this one thing today. So yeah, total game changer. It's so hard to do sometimes. It's really easy to get caught up in the, uh, in the game of checking your email nonstop and being just sucked into it. But when you can pull yourself away and really do some focus work, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Ben, tell me a little bit about what are some of your keystone habits, the things that you do every day that you think energize you or really make a difference in your life? Yeah, so um, I think for me, this comes down to uh, primarily uh, spending time with people that I want to. So 
Uh, as long as I'm getting time in with in the other things in life, like I can work all day. That that's not a problem. But but I'm tired if I don't you know if I'm not spending time with with my wife uh, with our little puppy here. That's what energizes me. I got to prioritize the right things in life, and that means spending time with with them, with my family, with my little brother. Um, and you know, that's, that's really what does it for me lately. I've been a real big, like back into the miracle morning kind of thing. Um, love that stuff, love the morning time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that and spending time with people that matter. That's powerful. What triggers you to remind you or to let you know that, Hey, I've been burning it at both ends for too long and I need to take a break. I need to go recharge myself. Oh man, this is this is like my my thing lately. I feel like I'm at this point all the time because uh, you know my wife runs her own business too, and we can we're both workaholics if you let us. So when we're apart, because uh, I travel a lot for work, so when we're apart, we can both sit down and work you know 14, 15, 16 hours a day and not look up. What triggers me to realize that we've been doing that and that I've been burning the candle at both ends is, you know, usually when things start feeling out of whack in another part of your life. So again, to bring it back to the one thing, I, I won't do that too many more times, I promise, guys. But to bring it back to that, I think it's okay to bring be out of balance for a while, but then to realize that all of a sudden everything else feels out of whack and bring it back the other way for a little while and recover and like no such thing as balance down the middle, you know, 50% work, 50% fun. Um, mm-hmm. But being on the ends and realizing when you're there. So for us, and honestly, the easy answer is I think my wife tells me too, when I'm burning the candle at both ends. So I have a built in fail safe. It's good that you have that there, you know, for us that don't, you really have to just listen to your body and start figuring out, well, what are those triggers? I know for me, I start getting headaches. I start getting really tense. I start getting tired. But I'm the kind of person, probably just like you, Ben, who I would rather work you know, crazy hours in a really focused manner and then take some time off and go recharge. But you know, for me lately, you know, getting all these things together for the launch, I've been pumping away you know, till 11, 12, 1 in the morning every day. And when that happens, it's great because I know that I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and that you hit that kind of focused uh, flow type state. Yeah. But then you got to take it. You got to take a step away. You got to go snowboarding. You got to go kiteboarding. You got to go do something fun that just gets your mind off of work and is physical for me. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And luckily we're in, we're both in Colorado. So we have plenty of options to go do that. Exactly. We're, we're really lucky. I'm, I'm sure everyone's got their thing. Yeah. So let's head into the growth fire round. Uh, the questions are fast, but the answers aren't necessarily. Um, so the first one here is what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one that you're the most excited about? Right All right. Now? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit and give two because I already gave one. So Good. the one thing we talked about it, that's definitely the biggest game changing book in my life in the last year. The second book, though, is Never Split the Difference, which I think, if, if I remember this right, I think we may have actually got this recommendation from you on our podcast. And 
man, it's like seriously, no matter what you're doing in life, that is seriously one of the best books for relationships, for sales, for anything that I've ever read. Nobody believes me when they're not in sales or real estate, when I tell them you need to read, never split the difference because it's going to make your relationship that much better. It's going to make you be able to connect with people in a whole different way. But I've read it or listened to it about 20 times because it's so powerful. And the stuff that Chris Foss brings up is just unbelievable. I love that you bring that up as a recommendation. That's a great book. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we talked a little bit about this before, but purpose. Why do you do what you do, Ben? For me, it's, it's options and flexibility. If I can get there, then uh, you know, I can spend more time with, with my wife, with my family, doing other things, can spend more time flying, so, so ultimately, options and flexibility are my reason why. I'm looking forward to you taking me up for a flight at some time. That's right, man. We'll make it happen. All right. And so who is a mentor, business or personal, somebody in your life who's inspired you, who's inspired you to live your best life every day and to go out there and take it on? Yeah, I think, man, that, that's a good one. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared for this one. So it's a great question. Um, I think, so I, I'm going to cheat a little bit on this one too, but I have a lot of great people that I'm fortunate enough to learn from. Um, you know, Dan Mackin and I run our podcast and luckily we get to have people like you sit down and talk with us for an hour about what they do in real estate. And that's like, we do we do one of those a week. So I'm fortunate enough to have a whole list of people that I get to learn a lot from in, in real estate and where I want to go. So I have like 45 of them so far and I won't go through the list. <laughs> that, that's awesome. You should definitely check out the Millennial Real Estate Investor Podcast. It's really good stuff. On the modeling front, on the mentor front, it sounds like you're, you're talking to other folks. You have that chance to interview them, to learn a little bit from them. What do you look for in a model? Somebody that you want to copy uh, what's working for them and apply it to your own life. Yeah. So I, I heard somebody say this a while ago and I don't remember where it came from, but basically, you know, if I'm looking at somebody that, that I respect and that I want to uh, grow to be like in my business or my, my personal life, I love the, the thought of looking at somebody five years ahead of you or it can be whatever, you know, two, two years, three years, whatever. But figuring out if you would trade places with them as is today. So like in my corporate job, looking at somebody who would be on my career path five years ahead of me and figuring out, you know, would I, do I want where they're at exactly right now? And usually that answers no. So you go find somebody else. Um, And in real estate, that's the same thing. You got to pick your track based on your goals. So pick a, for me, it's picking you know, a buy and hold investor who's several years ahead of me and saying, do I want the same kind of life that they're living? And so that's how I've found people to kind of model and decide how I want to run my business. That's some really good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Ben. This has been wonderful. Can't wait to hang out in person again sometime soon. Where can people find out more about you and get in touch with you? Yeah, so... Uh, probably the best place is, uh, like Stephen mentioned, you can find us at our podcast website, which is millennial-realestate.com. 
Um, or if you shoot me, a, you can shoot me a message at podcast at millennial-realestate.com or ben at boardwalkcolorado.com uh, is my other email I use for the agent side. So that's where you can find me. And Stephen, it's really been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on today. So much fun. And until next time, thanks, Ben. Yep, thanks. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 